If laughter hadn't ensued when I came out, I would have been really concerned. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, and I hope no one is offended if I keep my hat on while I preach this morning, because taking it off would go against the whole message, so it's going to have to stay on lest I get shot in the head by an arrow while I'm preaching, so maybe some of you will start worrying and I'll keep you awake for flying arrows during the message. Let's all stand together. He turned to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse number 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds that wherein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet here together and to study your word. I pray that this message will be imprinted on each of our hearts. And Lord, we would recognize the importance this morning of being prepared, being prepared for spiritual attacks that are going to come on us on a regular basis. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to, um, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and would show us where we are failing in these areas. And Lord, help us to repent and Lord, just have a change of heart toward your word and toward your ways. Pray that you'd hide me behind your cross and Lord, that you would just speak now to each one of us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I may seem a little bizarre this morning, a little crazy, but I wanted you to remember this message, and I don't think at this point you'll, well, at least you won't forget what you've seen, um, and maybe that will remind you of the message. We're talking this morning about the armor of God, hopefully keeping it in a biblical context. I've heard numerous messages on actually much teaching and preaching on the armor of God. And the more I study Ephesians, uh, the more I'm convinced that some of it has just been basically fairy tale that I've been taught about the armor of God. Um, so let's get into this this morning, and I hope it will help each one of us. The title of the message is, Finally, Brethren, Be Strong. This is the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, a church which we're actually going to talk about here in a couple weeks in the next children's service, a church where he faced a lot of problems. They had a lot of political um, uh, problems in Ephesus. There were uprisings involved with the preaching of the gospel. Um, there was a lot of opposition, but yet Paul had preached there. They had established the church there. Um, he had gone there and preached the first time on his second missionary journey at the end of the journey. And so he writes them a letter from Rome. And if you look at chapter one and verse number one, we see exactly who he's writing to. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at, and read it with me if you would, Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. He is writing to a specific church at a specific time for a specific purpose. And I bring this to an emphasis as an emphasis because if you read some commentaries today, some Bible teachers and commentators, they will tell you, we don't know who this was written to. And yet the text itself tells us 
not by tradition, not by just a title in the Greek text, but in the scripture itself. Yet the reason for this um, argument that has only risen in the last hundred years, I guess, um, over whether it was to Ephesus, whether it was to a specific church or not, uh, maybe it's just a group of churches. Um, the argument has come, and I believe has been for the purpose of distracting us from the important teachings that he gave in Ephesus. The, but, and the arguments have come about the audience that Paul was uh, ministering to was because of two Greek texts of the New Testament. One was the Sinaiticus, um, uh, Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus. Um, those were two Greek texts of the New Testament, which were both in monasteries in the late 1800s. Um, they were actually two of the, the two, I believe, the oldest manuscripts we have of the Greek New Testament. Yet the monks that were taking care of the libraries where they were stored, one at Mount Sinai, um, the monks there had determined that these were tainted manuscripts. They would leave out whole passages of scripture, um, such as in the story where um, the angel would come down to the pool of Bethesda and stir it once a year. Um, those were left out. That story is left out of the manuscripts. A number of important passages are left out of those manuscripts, as well as the name Ephesus is left out of those manuscripts. Therefore, after those manuscripts were found, one of them at Mount Sinai was um, actually out in a pile of garbage, and the monks were about to burn it when a Bible critic found it and decided he had found a treasure because it was such a great, reliable copy of scripture, even though it was missing stuff. And so anyway, these two texts, these two tainted texts that were missing portions of the Bible and even titles as here at Ephesus, um, these were taken by two men, Westcott and Hort, and used to create the new Greek text, which most Bible translations today are based upon. So I would challenge you to study this out, and I would warn you against using a translation, an English translation that is based on either one of these, um, which were put together to create the West Cotton Hort text. So any of those can be dangerous because you're reading along in your English Bible, and it will say something like this. All of a sudden you'll come and there's verses missing, or the verses will be there, but it will say in the most reliable Greek text, these verses are not there. What do they mean by the most reliable? Those two that were taking, being taken out by the monks to be burned because they were missing um, portions of scripture. At the very best, those two um, Greek texts were tainted at very best because there were sloppy and careless um, scribes copying those two. At worst, it was scribes that thought they knew better than what should be in the Bible. And if they purposely left things out, that was dangerous for those men who had copied those. So I would just challenge you, use reliable translations, and I call a reliable translation one that is based on the received text, the Texas Receptus. That's why I use the King James Bible. I believe it's the most reliable because of the Greek text from whence it came. And so we have here... Um, the, to the church at Ephesus. He's writing this church in a town that has been, had oppression, that has had uprisings. The church has been in the middle of some of these problems that have happened in the city. And so as he's coming near the end of his life, near the end of his ministry, he writes to them, encouraging them to be strong. They are going to need strength. So I subtitled this message, Three Keys to Spiritual Stamina, because that seems to be his overall point here. He's talking about stamina. Look at verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. In verse number 11, that ye may be able to stand. Verse number 13, wherefore taken to you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand, to keep standing, to not stumble, to not fall, to not quit, to not go home. And having done all to stand, verse 14, stand, therefore, he's talking about stamina here. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't stop. Keep serving the Lord. Keep moving forward. And how are we going to do this? 
he tells us very clearly here. He gives a clear message to the church at Ephesus. I want us to notice, first of all, as we consider, this is a message about stamina. The armor of God is not given for us to go out and pick fights with the devil. It is not done so that we can go out and assault and, and pray all these prayers that are printed off in books for us to pray. So if we do this, this will happen. And if we pray these words, this will happen. And if we pray these words, this will happen. Somebody somewhere may have prayed that and that happened. But when I start being given all these um, things to pray, all these spiritual warfare to, uh, prayers to pray that have no real basis in scripture, I start scratching my head and really wondering where we're getting our information. He's not talking about here going out and attacking the devil. He's talking about being prepared for attack. That's why I said at the beginning, I'm a preacher with my helmet on, because the point is don't take your armor off. Keep it on. You've got to be prepared because attack is going to come. So let's look at this. Finally, brethren, be strong. Three keys to spiritual stamina. Let's look number one. First point here, in order to have spiritual stamina, in order to stand the test of time, number one, we have to understand the source of spiritual stamina. The source. Look, number one, he gives us three things here. In verse number 10, he starts us off. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. We look at that word strong. We, okay, be strong. And we try to muster up our strength. We try to be strong ourselves. People will tell you when something bad happens, just be strong. Just be strong. Be strong. That's really bad advice, especially when you go to a person who's depressed, they're discouraged, they're just ready to quit, ready to hang it up and go home. And you go up and say, just be strong. They're like, oh, that's gone. My strength has been depleted. I cannot go on in my own strength. So number one, we will be able to stand the, the, the test of time. If we recognize our first source is the person of the Lord, be strong in the Lord. It is in Christ that we find our strength. What did Paul say to the uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, I believe it was. He said, when I am weak, then am I strong. Why? Because the power of Christ became evident in Paul's life. When he was weak because of his physical ailments, God showed himself strong. When we are mentally weak, when we are emotionally weak, when we are physically weak, God will give us his strength. Let me look this up. There was a verse I was reading this morning um, that just really encouraged me. I want to see if I can find it right here. Psalm 71, verse 16. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. I will go in the strength of the Lord. We need to understand that our true source of stamina, of strength, is the person of the Lord. Number two, it's the power of his strength. He says here, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word might here has to do with strength. It is his strength that enables us. It is not our own. We need to quit looking beyond our, or looking to our strength and look to the Lord for the strength to stand the test of time. And number three, it is the protection of his armor because look at verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God. Well, why does he tell them to put on the armor? Because he's just told them, be strong. How are they going to be strong? By putting on the armor. This is not their armor. I hear people say, did you put on your armor this morning? Nope, I ain't got none. Okay, I guess I do now. But um, no, I'm not, I don't need to put on my armor. I need to put on the Lord's armor. That changes our whole perspective. It is God that will enable us to stand the test of time. It is his power, his might, his strength that will enable us to stand the test of time. It is his 
armor, the action of putting it on. This is a command that they are to be continually, habitually putting on the armor of God. And may I suggest right here that this is not some mystical command. Anybody ever caught in the mysticism of the armor of God? I have. That's where you get up in the morning. I, I had heard the teaching. I had to put on my armor every morning. So I get up in the morning, I'd wake up. And before I'd get out of bed, I'd put on my armor. Lord, I, and I'd go through the whole thing. I'd put on my helmet of salvation. It's going to protect my mind today. I'd put on the breastplate of righteousness, protect my heart. And I'd go through the whole thing. And boy, man, I felt, oh man, we can assault hell today. And then I'd get up and I'd fail all day long. But boy, I started out the day feeling this supernatural energy. I had actually done nothing. I said the words put on the helmet, but did I actually put anything on my mind? I said the word put on the breastplate of righteousness, but was there any action? Was there any actual righteousness of Christ went into my heart that day? Oh, I put on the belt of truth, but how did that affect my life? What I'm saying here, this is not mysticism. He is teaching some real truths, solid principles that were going to keep them strong to stand the test of time. So we have the protection of the armor, and we'll talk more specifically about the armor here in just a minute. But put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So number one, if we're going to stand the test of time, we need to understand the source of spiritual stamina. Number one, the person of the Lord, the power of his might, or of his strength, and then number three, the protection of his armor. Then number two, if we're going to stand the test of time, we need to recognize the saboteurs. I love that word, sabotage. It's a good military word. Saboteurs of spiritual stamina. What is going to come and sneak in to try to attack us, to cause havoc, to cause damage to us spiritually. Why is it that some Christians get discouraged and quit? Maybe for a season. Maybe it's long-term. They just give up. Oh yeah, I still believe in God, but I'm done with church. I still believe in God, but I just don't want to tell anybody the gospel anymore. I, I still believe in God, but... Why don't they stand the test of time? Well, they may have not recognized those who were sneaking in to bring the attacks in the first place. Number one, we need to recognize our first saboteur is Satan's deceit. Satan's deceit. Look what he says, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The deceit of the devil. Satan is a deceiver. He will bring us religious deceit. He will get us to believe a little lie that gets bigger and bigger and bigger before long, you find yourself in a cult off somewhere, worshiping rocks and sticks and all kinds of crazy stuff. Or you find yourself walking uh, away from the faith, or you find yourself bowing down to idols in church on Saturday night, and you walk away from the true faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because you took your armor off. Of course, if you end up walking away and denying Christ, you never really had him in the first place. The scripture teaches that clearly. But what would make us backslide? What would make us go sit on the bench? What would make us stop? It was because we didn't realize that our enemy is a trickster. And I'm not suggesting here that we need to go study a whole lot about how Satan deceives. Because he doesn't tell us here that that's how we stand. He didn't say by figuring out how Satan deceives... He said, put on the armor so that when he does try to deceive you, you're him. What do I mean by that? Well, if I take my sword, the word of God, and I lay that down, and I just quit reading my Bible. I turn on the TV, and here's a TV evangelist, and he says something that just sounds so right, and it feels so good. I mean, that just spoke to me spiritually. We emotionally got a high from it but we mistook that as spiritual. We can all do that very, very easily. And boy, I feel really good with what he said. And so next time he's on TV, I tune him in again and I listen again and oh, something else. He says, wow, I never realized I've been believing a lie my whole life. 
man, that is true. Oh man, he just gave that Bible verse and that is accurate. He quoted that verse. He may have quoted it out of context, but remember you sat your sword down so you don't even realize it. And then it goes further and further and before long we walk away from God. Why? Because we set down the armor. He didn't say study Satan's deceit in order to be prepared when he attacks you. He said, keep the sword in your hand. When he attacks, you're ready. I mean, think about it. Um, a soldier doesn't, um, well, this week we're going to remember um, December 7th, a day that will live in infamy. That is a day I always remember Pearl Harbor. Um, sometimes it's not till the end of the day and all of a sudden the end of the day comes, I go to go to bed. A great time to think about Pearl Harbor. And I'm about to go to bed and all of a sudden I look at the clock and I see December 7th. December 7th, that sounds so important. What is the, oh, Pearl Harbor. We remember a nation that was asleep. I believe it was the emperor of Japan after Pearl Harbor said, Oh, no, no, it was one of the um, Japanese naval um, admirals um, that stated, he said, I believe all we've done today is awaken a sleeping giant. They may have gotten a good attack because we had set our armor aside on Sunday morning. But um, the nation rose up and put on the armor. But what would have happened if on December 7th we had our armor on? We were prepared. Japan's uh, imperial Japan starts to attack and we were ready to defend ourselves, the day would have been different. The story would have been different. Our memories would have been different. But we had set our armor down that day. We hold on to our armor so that when Satan comes to deceive us, we've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we can recognize Satan's deceit. Why do we miss Satan's deceit? Oh man, that Christian, they just don't think through stuff. No, they don't think through the Bible. Why do we get deceived? Because we don't, we've put our sword down. Secondly, a second saboteur is spiritual enemies. Spiritual enemies. Let me say it again. Spiritual enemies. We get distracted sometimes with physical enemies. In dealing with American politics, don't get too distracted by the fact, uh, by the political parties. Remember, there is satanic things going on behind the scenes. Satan is working. It's a spiritual battle. For we, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We need to recognize we're fighting a spiritual battle. And when we recognize that, and someone else is hateful to us, someone else mistreats us, someone else offends us, we realize that there is somebody else behind that offense. Our brother and sister in Christ may not have meant anything offensive at all by what they said or by what they did, but there is spiritual warfare going on and we had set our armor down for a few minutes. We did not have the breastplate of righteousness on protecting our heart. And when our brother or sister said something offensive, we took up that offense. We put it in our heart and we began to harbor it and we began to hold on to it. And a seed of bitterness springs up. Why could a seed of bitterness ever get in our hearts? Because we weren't wearing the breastplate of righteousness. And if we realize there's a spiritual battle going on, we will fight it. We will face it differently. Number three, the third saboteur is seasons of attack. Seasons of attack. Look here what he says. Let's keep reading verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. He keeps making it very clear what the armor's for. I don't know how we end up with all these Christian books teaching about the armor of God with other things. Because he tells us what it's for over and over. Um, we're just putting down our sword and writing a book instead of keeping our sword in our hand. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day? This is a bad day. He's not talking necessarily about um, even necessarily a satanic day. Your evil day can be a day of bad health. Anybody ever have those around here? Anybody ever get those? Day of bad health. And by day, I don't mean 24-hour period. Amen, pools. 
He can go on and on and on and on. And Satan begins to attack using our physical ailments, Mrs. Petty, right? And Satan will use those things against us. Hannah knows what I'm talking about. Satan uses those on a day of your personal weakness, on a day of your lows, literally. And Satan comes and tells you how worthless you are. Satan comes and brings all of these attacks to your mind. And we believe him. Why do we believe him? Because we're not wearing our armor. We don't have the helmet of salvation on. And so we're not thinking about our physical problems correctly. We don't have our helmet on. And so when the attacks come, no matter how they come, what they look like, and they will come in waves. How many of us have good days? Anybody out here have a good day? You can raise your hand for this one. Okay, that's not embarrassing. Thank you, Abby. That helped. Do we have good days? Yeah, we have good days sometimes, right? We'll go through a good day. What, is, what are the good days for? Those are the days for us to pick up our armor and get a better grip on it. Why? Because we know a bad day's coming. There was a time, uh, well, I guess it was earlier this year, I think it was, we went out with some friends and we were down by a creek and it was just a really nice day. And I had been having trouble having nice days because I was just anticipating a bad day. And it had been too long since I'd had a really bad day. And I just knew something was going to blow up. We're going to have some major church problem that I'm going to be right in the middle of, or we're going to have some kind of family problem, or Laura and I are going to have a fight. I mean, there's going to be something good this week. And I was just miserable waiting for the bad to happen. A kid was going to get deathly ill, something or another. And I was just anticipating it. Any, any other worriers out here? And you're just waiting for it. And we go out and we spend this beautiful day and I forget that I'm supposed to be worrying about the bad day coming. And I sat down that night and I'm looking through the pictures of the day. And all of a sudden, as I see the water rolling down and I remembered it rolling across my ankles, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, and I always think about praising the Lord when the sorrows like sea billows roll. But do I get grateful and enjoy the peace like a river days? What are the purpose of those? It's not to worry about the bad day that's coming, the evil day that's coming. It's so that on that day, I can be strengthened. I can pick up my weapons again. I can read my Bible and think more clearly. I can hear God speak to me and I get the strength to when Satan attacks to have the stamina to defend myself. So we need to recognize, number one, we need to recognize um, Satan's deceit. We have spiritual enemies and there are seasons of attack. Number three, we need to implement the system of spiritual stamina. God has given us a system. A system can be things that there are multiple, something that there's multiple parts to that work together. There are parts to our armor that work together. For what purpose? To protect us spiritually. So let's look at these. What has he given us? Number one, he's given us the belt of truth. We understand now why we need to wear it. We need to wear it because an evil day is coming, temptation, discouragement, struggles, satanic attacks, Satan's deceit. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. So first of all, verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Let's go back to last Sunday morning sermon. Does anybody remember when Paul was writing to the Philippians, how did he conclude his letter to them? Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true. He starts out by saying the first thing that our minds need to be thinking on habitually is truth. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. It is no mistake that the first piece of the armor he gives us is the belt of truth. What's interesting is, I mean, the belt of truth, wouldn't you put that on after you put other stuff on? I mean, if you're putting on the armor, I mean, if I put this belt on and then I put the breastplate on, the breastplate's going to be flopping everywhere. The belt is to hold it down. He's giving us a spiritual illustration here. 
as I've already said, these are not mystical. These are spiritual. They are spiritually real. The first defense that we have is the belt of truth. What is truth? We talked about it last week. God's word is truth. We need to have on the belt of truth. What's going to happen if a Roman soldier were to take off his belt and run into battle? His, his breastplate's going to be flapping everywhere. If he's got a sword strapped on, it's going to be falling off. Actually, it's not even going to be there anymore because his belt's gone. We cannot take off the belt of truth. We must keep it on. So we have to ask, what is it there to protect? Well, first of all, it tightens things down. We recognize that. But with the other pieces, we see very specifically what it is protecting. And I think we recognize if we look at this and if we study it out here, we find that the belt, where it is wrapped, it is creating an illustration of truth having to protect our drives, our desires. And as, as the Hebrews understood it at, the, at this time, what they refer to here is having your loins girt about with truth, that the loins was the seat of desire. How are you and I going to stay pure? Psalm 119 verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When we have on the belt of truth, we are protected. All of our drives have to be driven through the belt of truth. We need to prepare our kids for attack. And I do mean kids. So many parents wait till their teenagers are 16, 18 years old, 19 years old, or their wedding day to talk to them about moral struggles, moral failure. They've never helped them learn how to put on the belt of truth. Parents, we need to be about helping our kids put on the belt of truth. If you think that because you've homeschooled your kids that they are ignorant of most things and that they will not struggle with moral issues, I have property off the coast of Florida that I would love to sell you at a really good rate. I was raised in a homeschool family, highly protected much of my life. I began struggling with moral failure mentally at the age of three. Where did it come from? I don't know. But I began struggling with bad thoughts that a three-year-old shouldn't have. I didn't have to be taught that. I have a sin nature. We can shelter our kids as much as we want, but they still have a sin nature. We need to teach them how to put on the belt of truth. Well, where do we find that? The word of God. How do I teach my kids to put on the belt of truth? I teach them the word of God. When my boys get to getting close to the age of um, 13, Laura and I do some special Bible study with just that child. And we take them through some principles in Scripture about finding a, 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 a spouse, about um, some basic principles in Scripture on how to find a spouse, basic principles on morality. And after doing that, we ask them, would you be willing to make a vow to God. And there's like six things that we ask them to do. It's their choice. They can say no. But if they say, yes, I want to do these things after they've studied the scriptures with us, then we have a special little ceremony. They sign uh, um, a, a paper that um, has this vow written out on it. Mom and dad sign it as witnesses. And then we give them a purity band to put on their finger. Is that something super spiritual that we've done? Well, yes and no. It is spiritual in the fact that we've just given our kids not a ring, we've given them a belt, a belt of truth to put on. And as they come into maturity at our, what we call our Baptist bar mitzvah, as they enter into manhood, they are challenged to keep on the belt of truth. And they're given tools that can guard them and protect them for the rest of their lives. Joseph had on his belt of truth when Potiphar's wife grabbed him. 
and he ran out of the room. He had never heard any teaching on the armor of God, which was probably a good thing because he knew how to use the armor for real. He had on his belt of truth. He was ready. And when she came and grabbed him, he said, how can I do this and sin against my God? He was wearing the belt of truth. And so when she grabbed him, oh yeah, his robe may have came off as he ran out of the room. And she had that to make false accusation against him. But his conscience was clear before God because his belt of truth was tightly around his waist. We have to have on our belt of truth when a Christian falls into immorality And we ask the question, how on earth could that happen? They weren't wearing their belt of truth. That's how it happened. Because Satan is a deceiver and he can deceive us into thinking there are things we have to have. And that's why it's so important that we invest in our kids and we prepare them, not just our sons as I've talked about, but our daughters, and prepare them from an early age to take everything and drive it through the belt of truth. First of all, he gives the belt of truth. Number two, he gives them, let's look here, verse number 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, this is really obvious. This is very simple. What does the breastplate protect? The heart. I mean, there's obviously other things. It protects the lungs, all, but it's going to protect our heart. You and I have deceitful hearts. Isaiah said that. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? My mom used to tell us as teenagers, it's not that I don't trust you. I don't trust your heart. She said that a lot. She was wise. I tried to put on a front. There was one time my aunts got together at Christmas and they were all giggling at the table. And my mom wanted to know what they were talking about. And they wouldn't tell her for a while. Thankfully, I was in the room. I got to see the whole thing. And my aunt said, well, you know, your kids weren't angels. And they proceeded to tell her things that we had done to terrorize, you know, like go spearfishing in their fish tanks when we'd be at their houses and eating their kids' toys and spitting them out and then finding them for years stuck in the AC vents and different places. Anyway, they all thought it was hysterical, thankfully. My heart was desperately wicked. My mom didn't know I was that bad. I mean, she didn't know we were spearfishing with my cousin's pets, killing their pets. But um, we were worse than my mom even thought. Our hearts need to be protected. Proverbs 28 and verse 26. Let's look over there. Proverbs 28 and verse 26 in the season of Christmas movies where all we're hearing the lines, follow your heart. Let's read this verse, Psalm 28, verse 26. Psalm 28, sorry, Proverbs 28, 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. I had a friend who was friends with a well-known um, preacher in the States. And he asked that preacher one day about getting married. And the preacher told him, just follow your heart. I heard my friend say that. And I thought, well, surely he, no, he believed him. And he's following his advice. This can be scary. Because as soon as he told me what the preacher had said, I instantly thought of this. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. And if you've got on the breastplate of righteousness and somebody tells you, follow your heart, you'll go, no, 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 my heart's got to be guarded. It's got to be protected. What's it got to be protected by? The righteousness of Christ. Why? Because my heart is full of unrighteousness. And having on the breastplate of righteousness is living on a regular basis where I I put my heart, I pass it through the filter of the righteousness of Christ. Because I am just so prone to unrighteousness. But yet Christ is all righteousness. He is the righteous one. I have his imputed righteousness in my heart. I was thinking about it yesterday and I realized I'm wearing a white tunic under the breastplate. I already have my white tunic on under it. I'm saved. But I still have to, this is the operation of the righteousness of Christ in my life. Paul's been talking to the Ephesians here about their Christian walk. 
And as he comes here, he's saying, how do you live the Christian life? How are you going to walk out and live out the righteousness of Christ? You have to have on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. I don't have righteousness of my own, even though I'm saved, even though I have on the imputed righteousness of Christ, my heart has been washed clean positionally. I am washed pure in the blood of the lamb. But I have to, on a daily basis, have everything in my heart filtered through the righteousness of Christ. This is what my heart wants to do. But is it right? This is what my drives want to do. This is what my desires want to do. This is what my desires want to look at. This is what my desires want to think. But is it true? And we take these things through the filter of truth, through the filter of the righteousness of Christ. So when people say putting on the armor is putting on Christ, they are totally true. But you don't just get up and go, okay, I put on Christ this morning. Oh, now you're back to mysticism again. What does it mean to put on Christ? To the Corinthians, that's all he told them, put on Christ, or to the Colossians rather. But to the Ephesians, he told them specifically how to put on Christ. Number one, the belt of truth, that's going to protect your drives. The breastplate of righteousness, that's going to protect your heart. Then he says, your shoes, <clears throat> your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. To shod means to tie on your shoes, lace up your shoes. Put your shoes on. Why is that? Well, if you go all the way back to the Song of Solomon, chapter 7 and verse 1, you get an idea of what he's talking about. It begins this idea of shoes on feet. Song of Solomon 7, 1, he said, your feet are beautiful with shoes on. And I understand that is a funny sounding passage of scripture. And most of the time I hear that just read as a joke in church. But he's teaching, he's laying out a principle that's going to be so important in the New Testament. Isaiah 52 and verse 7, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, that bring glad tidings of good things. Romans 10, 15, when he's asked the question, how are they going to hear the gospel without a preacher? He says, for it says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. What is he talking about? He uses the word preparation here. He's talking about being prepared. If Satan attacks and I jump out of bed and I don't have my shoes on and I go outside to fight him in the gravel, I'm going to be out, out, out. I'm not like the Hewlands that the bottoms of my feet have turned into leather um, and they can walk anywhere on any surface. That was a joke. But I've seen you girls walk over things that I just, I wince. Why? Because I'm a guy who in the house wants to have my, my flip-flops on at least. Why? I don't like wearing shoes, but I want, I want something on the bottom of my feet. So he says, be ready to fight. How are you going to be ready to fight? I'm going to have to have my shoes on. What's he talking about? He's saying, be prepared to share the gospel, to give the gospel of peace. You say, what on earth does this have to do with protection? Because when Satan attacks us, one of the first things we're going to want to stop doing is sharing the gospel with others. It takes energy. And when we get discouraged, when we want to stop, we're just going to stop sharing the gospel. So he said, have your shoes on. Why did, the, why did Solomon tell his bride, your feet are beautiful with shoes on? Because God himself, God the Holy Spirit is laying out a truth in the Song of Solomon that we're going to understand when we get to Ephesians. Well, we could start understanding it in um, Isaiah. But when we get to Ephesians chapter six, we're going to understand what Solomon was saying. God tells us as his bride, your feet are beautiful when you have your shoes on, when you're prepared to give the gospel. Next, he gives the shield of faith. Verse 16, above all, notice those two words, underline that in your Bible, above all, taking the shield of faith, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All the attacks that Satan can launch against you can be warded off with the shield of faith. Now, this that I'm holding here is not a shield of faith, but it's the only shield I have. There were a couple of different Roman shields, and the Greek word here does not indicate the small round shield. It was a large shield that you could get your whole body behind. 
In fact, one translation of it could be door. In other words, it's telling how big it is. It's a four-cornered shield that you could really get behind. It's going to protect everything. Everything's going to be protected when we're hiding behind the shield of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The just shall live by his faith. And the second we sit down and we put down our shield of faith, doubt is going to come flooding in. Satan is going to bring doubt. He's going to bring discouragement. And if you and I on our good days are picking up our shield of faith, we're reminding ourselves of the works of God, reminding ourselves of the ways of God. We're being built up in our faith. We're taking that big shield of faith. And the second Satan starts to attack us, we instantly say, no, Satan, I'm not going to believe that. Why? I'm trusting in God and we step back. What is our shield? David said it multiple times in the Psalms. The Lord is my shield. He is my shield. That is who I'm hiding behind. And so Paul tells the church at Ephesus, if you're going to stand, if you're going to make it, if you're going to withstand in the evil day, if you're going to last the test of time, if you're going to have spiritual stamina, you have to have the shield of faith. Don't put it down because the second you put your shield down and Satan starts to attack, you're not prepared. There are holes in the armor. And that shield of faith is what's going to protect those holes in the armor. Satan knows how to find our holes. I had a buddy a number of years ago, we found out on Thanksgiving day, actually late in the day on Thanksgiving, that he'd been killed that morning in Afghanistan. All we knew is that he was killed by a sniper and um, in battle. Well, we found out later that it was a very deliberate assassination because he was so effective at working um, with the Afghans We'd worked with children together for years. Um, we'd actually, he'd, he'd gone to China, been arrested for um, spreading the gospel there and deported. And um, we'd gone on mission trips together. He was a man who knew how to share the gospel. He knew how to work with people. And he, sharing just the love of Christ in Afghanistan as a soldier, as a Marine, they realized how effective he was. And people were getting along too well under his influence. And there was a hole in his armor. There was apparently that day, as it was later described, there was one spot in his good armor that if you shot him there, you could kill him. All of us have holes in our armor. And if Satan attacks us, he knows where to attack us. Anybody ever get discouraged by dumb stuff? Like at the time it's big. But you look back later and you go, why did that? There must have been something else going on. Yeah, there was. A spiritual battle. And that's why you got so mad at your husband or so mad at your wife or so mad at somebody else in church over something totally dumb. Why? Because Satan knew where to hit you that day. Oh yeah, this is going to offend her this morning. So he's going to put us husbands in a situation where we just say something dumb and our wives just get so offended and they're just out of shape for days or vice versa. Why? Because Satan knows us. He knows where the weak spots in our armor are. And if we've got our shield of faith, that big shield, not this little one, the big shield of faith, and we're keeping that up. We're living by faith. That's what it means to put on your shield of faith. It's not get up in the morning and say, okay, God, I pick up my shield of faith today. Amen. No. It's getting up saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to stand in your promises. That, living by faith, that is taking up the shield of faith. Let's keep going above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, this is going to protect our minds. One of our teachers years ago at Smite preached it this way. He said, putting on the, he was just a very simple preacher. He said, putting on the helmet of salvation means that you get up every morning and you remember I'm saved. So you think like it. Thinking like a Christian is different than thinking like the world. Just turn on the news for a few minutes. Don't, it's bad. Don't do it. But 
No, but seriously, you turn on the news and you hear all these people just doing dumb stuff. Why, why are criminals so ignorant sometimes? I mean, you, you watch sometimes and see how, what, how criminals get caught. It's sometimes really comical. It's like they just pulled off this genius heist. And then you contact the police department to, okay, this guy wasn't necessarily genius heist, but you contact the police department to find out if you're on the list of suspects. I saw that on the news. I think it was yesterday. What on earth would possess a guilty man to call the police to find out if, if they're suspecting him of doing it? Anyway, he got arrested. You and I aren't much smarter spiritually sometimes. We need to have on our helmet of salvation. Remember, I'm saved, so I need to think like it. Our minds go crazy. Our minds think of dumb things. John MacArthur said it this way. He said, there's two areas of attack and are the reason why we need the helmet of salvation on a daily basis and need to think like we're saved because Satan brings discouragement. And he talked about the, the whole thing with physical ailments that we can start getting discouraged. God doesn't love me anymore. We begin to doubt. That's that second area. We begin to doubt God's love because of what we're dealing with. I'll never forget the day I came into the house uh, about 10 years ago, came into the house, fell across the bed, extremely sick. And I looked at my wife and I said, do you ever wonder if God is real? I got saved when I was six years old. I've been preaching since I was 16. And here, after all these years of serving God, I'm laying in the bed going, do you wonder if he's even real? Satan was attacking my mind that day. I did not have on my helmet of salvation and I quit thinking like a Christian. I began to doubt the love of God. I began to doubt the goodness of God because of the circumstances in my life. A couple days later, I was in the word of God. I was actually teaching the word of God to a group of kids and the Holy Spirit convicted me so strong. We were in Daniel and we got to that line where Nebuchadnezzar says, who has a right to question God? I was convicted. If a heathen king would realize that, how could I not realize that? And that changed my whole perspective. Why? That day, standing in front of those kids, I put the helmet of salvation back on. Said, okay, I'm going to quit questioning God. I'm just going to trust him. And the moment I begin to question God, the moment those thoughts begin to run around in my mind, oh wait, thoughts, isn't that what we talked about last week? That's what he dealt with with the church at um, uh, Philippi. Have control over your thoughts. These are the things to think on. Thinking on those things, that's having on the helmet of salvation. Number, number whatever this is. The Bible. Take to you the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. We have no question here. And the Greek word he's using, it's that small sword. I mean, you can really, you can really get one with that. Not the big sword where you got to use both hands. <clears throat> you got that sword easy to fight with. We look at the word of God and it's so big and so overwhelming sometimes. And yes, it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it cuts deep. The word of God is the big sword, but it's also the little sword that we can get in our hands, we can put our fingers around, and when Satan attacks us, we can fight back with. Isn't that what Jesus was doing? Jesus had the sword of the Spirit when he was tempted in the wilderness. Because when Satan tempted him, what did he do? Did he say, get thee behind me, have nothing to do with me, Satan, go away. Oh, wait, 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 what was that prayer in that spiritual warfare book? Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. I got to get that prayer. I gotta get, if I don't say every word in that prayer, I've been told that if you don't say every word right, then the demons will get you. I'm sorry, I got the sword of the spirit. I got the word of God. I don't need your prayer. I have the word of God. And when he comes and he attacks, Satan said, I mean, Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And he kept quoting scripture. He showed us how to have the sword of the spirit how to have the word of God. And when Satan attacks, that was my thing this morning. I read the verse a while ago. Behold, no, wrong verse. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. This morning, that was the sword for me. That was that little piece of the sword that I could pick up and fight with today. 
I will go in the strength of the Lord. Okay, Lord, that's the encouragement I needed today. And when we are in the word of God, when we have our sword in our hand, there is no attack that we can't fight off. Satan cannot be successful in discouraging us and making us quit when we have the word of God in our hands. Sometimes those evil days are so big, are so overwhelming. I remember when my sister was killed, that was an evil day that lasted for so long and that was so dark and that was so heavy. I remember my mom saying she would just sit with her Bible in her lap opened. She said, I couldn't even read. But she sat there with it opened. But she had the word of God in her heart. She had it in her mind. She had stored up scripture And when that time came, she could sit in peace with the word of God open on her lap when she couldn't even read it. And she still had the sword there and it was in her mind. There were times during that dark valley, during that evil day, that it was the the word of God, the truth of God's word was the only thing that could keep us sane. I remember a day when my dad told us something that a principle from scripture that God had showed him for years And he said, if I didn't believe that, I would literally go insane right now. He said, but I have that truth. So it's on the good day that we pick up the sword. And then we keep it in our hands on the bad day. So when attack comes, we don't just go, okay, never mind. My daughter got killed. That's worthless. That sword didn't do me any good. My daughter's dead. That's not what my dad said. He's like, oh yeah, she's in heaven. Okay, oh wait, I just took the sword. I took the shield of faith. By faith, I believe that she put her faith in Jesus Christ so she's in heaven. Okay, oh, I'm also thinking like a Christian. So when Satan's attacking my mind to think all these horrible things, I can remember she's in heaven. So with that, I just use the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the word of God. That's using the armor. It's not some mystical prayer we pray in the morning. It's real, the nitty, the gritty, getting into the word of God, the truth of God, the righteousness of Christ, making these things part of our life every single day. We're taking up the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and we're able to fight off the attacks of the enemy. Oh yeah, we'll still get discouraged sometimes, but we're going to have stamina. We're not going to quit. Why? Oh yeah, I don't feel like it. My heart's hurting right now. I feel down right now, but my breastplate is on. My heart's being protected by the righteousness of Christ. I've got the word of God in my hand. And I may not feel like it, but I can fight off this attack. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Then verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Don't just be self-centered. Don't just be on guard for yourself, but be praying for others. Supplication, be on guard for others as well. And then he says, pray for me. Specifically, Paul wanted prayer. So what is this last weapon we have here? The weapon of prayer. You can try to make it some piece of Roman armor and that's fine, but he doesn't do that here. He just says, pray. Some people say, well, prayer is there because prayer is the part that gets it all on. That could be true. But prayer is an important weapon. Prayer is how we are watchful. Lord, and that's one way we express these things. Lord, help me protect my mind today. So that's where putting the armor on becomes real. When you get up in the morning saying, Lord, I put on the helmet of salvation today. Help me think like a Christian. Help me process these things. Lord, help, I put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. I don't have any righteousness in myself. Lord, my heart's desperately wicked. Thank you for washing it in your blood, but I still live in the flesh and I need help today. Help me take everything through your righteousness. Lord, I put on the belt of truth. Help me remember to take everything through what is true today. Help me believe no lies of Satan. Lord, I put my faith in you. I'm going to trust you today. This is putting on the armor. This is being prepared. And when Satan begins to attack, you're able to stand. You're able to have spiritual stamina. You're able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So I say with Paul, finally, brethren, be strong. So let's do a quick review up here. Number one, we need to understand the, say it with me, source of spiritual stamina, which is, let's say that again, understand the 
source of spiritual stamina, which is the person of the Lord, the power of his strength, the protection of his armor. Number two, read it with me. Recognize the saboteurs of spiritual stamina, Satan's deceit, spiritual enemies, seasons of attack. And number three, implement the system of spiritual stamina, which is, and we can read these together, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the Bible, the word of God, the sword, and prayer. And if you and I, brothers and sisters, have these on a daily basis, when Satan attacks, no matter what that attack is, we will be able to withstand. We will have the strength to stand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I just pray that you would bring these truths, burn them deep into our hearts. Lord, that there would not be any casualties in this room. Lord, that there would be no quitters, no backsliders. But Lord, that each one of us would have the stamina to stand the test of time. And that when we die, it could be said of us, they having done all stood. Lord, help us to have your armor. Help us to understand deeper what it means to wear it, to put it on each day. And that, Lord, it would not be some mystical prayer we pray, but it will be a reality, a spiritual reality in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your truth. Help us to stand firm for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.